All right, good morning, ladies, and hello to those who are listening to the podcast. Last week, Eva brought us through 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 21, and she asked us two questions. How are we to live, and do we have hope? She helped us to answer the first question, how are we to live, by showing us four ways that Peter tells the Christian exiles how they are to live. It is by thinking clearly we are to be sober-minded by having our minds fixed fully on Jesus Christ. We are also to be obedient to who or what, to God and his desires. We are not to long for our old passions, but the things of God. Which brings us into the third way we are to live, and that is to be holy because God is holy. Our conduct should should reflect or imitate God all of the time. And why are we to live like that? Because God is a judge who judges impartially. And this being the fourth way we ought to live should cause us to walk and live reverently with fearful attitudes before God. But the reason and way we can do all this is because we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. This redemption was planned before God even spoke, let there be light. He had a sure plan of redemption. And this answers the second question, do we have hope? And yes, it's in God. Not other people or our healthcare system or our jobs, but in God who caused us to be born again through the, li- through the revelation of Jesus. And through this, we have an inheritance, a future hope waiting for us, and this inheritance is imperishable. Peter continues his thought of how are we to live in this world as exiles with how are we to live as brothers and sisters, as the redeemed people of the precious blood of Christ. We will touch on topics and words that we have heard Peter previously say, like imperishable, born-again, obedience. And we will look at new things like pure, the word, and love. And thankfully, I'm speaking to a room full of ladies because we'll be talking about where babies come from and how to nurse them. (laughs) So I've divided our text into three sections. Verses 22 to 23, a command to love other Christians and why are we to love each other? Verses 24 to 25, what is the word? And in chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, why do we need the word to love our brothers and sisters? So I'll read our text, and then I'll pray. So we're in chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would um, just reveal your word to us this morning. Give us ears to hear and a heart to um, be humbled by it, Lord. Um, I pray that this word would be an encouragement to us and that it would strengthen our faith. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 
Action, verses 22 to 23. Peter starts off his thought with having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. So how do souls get purified? Peter tells us it was through their obedience to the truth. How were they obedient? I mean, Peter just called them to be obedient by not longing for the former passions. But Peter says specifically they were obedient to the truth. If we look back at verse 21, it says that their faith and hope is in God. They were obedient by placing their faith and hope in God, who revealed Jesus Christ to them. Truth can also be referred to as the gospel, and we know from other places in scripture when it is referred to as such. For example, in Ephesians 1.13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the truth, or sorry, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. These exiles have been cleansed by their faith and hope in the gospel. Peter tells us that they were made pure for a reason, to show sincere love specifically to their brothers and sisters in the church. Now, Peter isn't saying to only love Christians and not other people, but in light of our faith and hope in the gospel, in light of our souls being cleansed, and in light of our holy conduct, we are called to love those who are part of God's church. There's a sense of urgency in this command. We are to earnestly or intensely or fervently love one another. The Greek word used for earnestly is ektenos. The only other time this Greek word is used in the New Testament is in Acts 12. King Herod has just murdered James, the brother of John, and has arrested Peter. Acts 12.5 says, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Peter was about to be killed and the church knew. There's a sense of urgency and necessity here. Time is of the essence. They can't put this on the back burner. It's in their core. They feel the gut-wrenching event about to happen and they can't help but passionately feel their need to cry out to our God in prayer. I think Peter, having experienced the earnest prayers of the saints and its result, is using the same idea. Love each other now. Don't wait. It's of great importance and necessity. It's necessary to love each other. And importantly, don't do it passively. Do it from a pure heart. We'll see later on in our text what this looks like in detail, but we are able to do it from a pure heart because we have been given a new one. Verse 23 says, it's because we have been born again that we can love each other. No ulterior motives, no forcing it, not based, of a, not based off of our other brothers, sisters, good works, or money, or possessions do we love them. But because we and they have been born again, not through perishable, but the imperishable word of God. Peter describes the word in four ways. As a seed, imperishable, living, and abiding. Remember when I said we were going to have a talk about babies? Well, we're going to have the talk. <laughs> so life, at least human and animal life, begins with a female who has an egg and a male who has a seed. And the male gives options. He doesn't just give one seed. Instead, oh sorry, but only one, the best one, makes it. As long as it's the fastest, and but the other seeds die. But we still have that one strong seed, and it has fertilized the egg, and has created the growing process of life. And this fully developed egg and seed eventually gets older, but it dies. It is perishable. Even though we may live for 100 years, 
or if you were Adam in Genesis 939 years, or 930 years, it still dies, it perishes, it does not last for eternity. Peter then gives a contrast. They were born again through an imperishable seed. Well, what is this imperishable eternal seed? The living and abiding word of God. The seed that will never die is living. And what is great, because we have been saved and born again by this imperishable seed, we will live in eternity with God. This seed is alive, and not only that, but it is in us. Because we have been born again through the imperishable, living, and abiding word of God, we are able to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are able to love the bride of Christ. So let's think of our modern-day bride. We all love her. Before the big day, we are making sure she has everything she needs and wants for the big day. We selflessly give her our time and effort to help her prepare with decorations and all the little nitty-gritty aspects of planning a wedding. And if you're the parents, you want her to have the dress of her dreams. So she gets to decide the color scheme, what dresses the bridesmaids wear, what ties the groomsmen wear. She decides the flowers and so on. Now, we don't want a bridezilla, but we do want to help her, um, her dreams come to life for her wedding. And so why do we do that? Because we want her to be happy. And then on her wedding day, or on the wedding day, we love her. We're all looking at her. We want to see her in her dress. We want to see her adorned. We want, her, we want to see that wedding day glow. We are to selflessly love the bride of Christ. We are to want to long to be with her, to see her, and to cherish her the way that Christ did when he, bought, when he purchased her with his blood. So there are times where this doesn't feel practical. I mean, personalities clash, we have different views on different things. Your kids should go to school, your kids should be homeschooled. You should buy organic. Don't buy organic, I think it's a scam. Um, you need to read your Bible this many times a week. Uh, you know, even if you read it five minutes a day, it's good. Um, and so on. And I think even now, I think one of the biggest things that can um, really separate us is that they're vaccinated or they're not vaccinated. These things are perishable. These things, they aren't eternal. They shouldn't be reasons why we should love or not love our brothers and sisters. If two or more people love the word of God, if they have experienced the love of Jesus who bore their sins on the cross, died, rose again, and has ascended to the Father, this should cause us to love each other. The word of God that gave us new life also sustains our life and what causes and enables us to love each other. Like Peter, who is reminding these exiles of their conversion, we need to remind ourselves of the same. Do we think back on the love that was revealed to us when we were unlovable? This remembrance on what the word has done in us should cause us to love our brothers and sisters. So our second point is, what is the word in verses 24 to 25? I'll just read it real quick. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter continues with fleshing out the eternality of the word compared to the mortality of humans and plants. So we just talked about seeds. There are perishable seeds and an imperishable seed. This imagery wouldn't be new to the Jewish hearers of Peter's epistle. As we can see, this illustration is pulled from scripture. 
specifically Isaiah 40, verses 6 to 8. You guys can turn to Isaiah 40, and I think I'll give a little context that I think will be helpful. In the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, the people of Israel who have refused to worship the one true God, the people who have heard the prophets and still refuse them after being warned to turn back to the Lord, people who have chosen not to listen and have chosen to go by their own ways, God says that he will put them in exile and continue to purge them through judgment. Their list of sins is written out for the hearers of Isaiah's prophecy, and judgment after judgment and woe after woe is given to them for 39 long chapters. But then we get to chapter 40. Chapter 40 is written to a different audience. It's to the remnant in exile. After the Babylonian captivity, but there is also a shift in town. I'm going to turn there myself. So after 39 long chapters of just woes and judgments and their sins being listed out, God says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our, of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arms rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So the audience of chapter 40 are people who are in exile. They've experienced judgment and oppression from their captors. We can turn back to 1 Peter. When we go back to 1 Peter, verses 22 to 20, or chapter 2 to 3, we see that there is no judgment or woes from God on the listeners, but there is judgment by the people around them. There is persecution for what they believe and how they are acting. And we'll see there's, a, there's persecution and suffering among them. And the most obvious comparison, they are in exile, spiritual and even physical, as they live on the outskirts of the Roman Empire. They are living in a place that is hostile, and God says, comfort. These persecutors, this suffering won't last forever, but my word, my word will last forever. The word that is in you, that will sustain you, it stands forever. This applies to us now. We will be hated by this word, by this world, for how we are different. We will be hated because we love God. 
But God says to us, comfort. My word, my promises, they are true and they are everlasting. The people who oppress us, the people who oppress the people in Peter's day, they are like the grass and the flower that fades. The word which Peter says in verse 25 is the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus, who bore our shame and wrath that we deserved, but was vindicated by the Father because he lived the perfect life, one that we can never live. And now when we put our faith in him, we are purified. Something was wrong in us, and we've been made, made right. Before, we couldn't love people truly, but now that we have the word, we can. The love that Christians have for one another is a word-based love, one that never perishes. Our love for each other, it can only be initiated, sustained, and grown through the word. And our love for one another, when we build each other up, we can support each other to stand firm in this hostile world. When our eyes are fixed on Christ, we can love our brothers and sisters. When it's fixed on our circumstances, on other people or ourselves, it will fail. Peter goes on with this theme of love and the word in, chapters, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, which brings us to our last section. Why do we need the word to love our brothers and sisters? He first lists the ways we can't love each other. I'll just read it again. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He charges us to put away these vices, which can mean put aside as a soiled garment. Because we'll be talking about babies, I thought what better illustration to use than when a baby spits up on you. Do you remember the smell? <laughs> Do you remember when it gets cold? Or what about when a baby has a blowout and it's on you? You're not like, oh, I don't want to use so many clothes today. I'm just going to keep this on. No, you're out of those clothes faster than you've ever changed before. Okay? You don't just sit in it. These vices, they should make us uncomfortable. We should be grossed out by them. Peter is telling his readers and us that if we have heard the gospel and if it has purified us and has caused us to be born again, we cannot be people who still do these things. We are not to be people who are malicious, but desire good things for each other. We are not to be a people of deceit, but people who speak the truth in love to each other. We are not to be hypocrites, but people who show and speak with genuineness. We are not to be a people who envy our brothers and sisters or the things of this world, but people who freely give. We are not to be a people who slander each other, but speak with praises for one another. We are to show love that desires the good, speaks the truth, and is genuine, and giving and full of praise for our brothers and sisters who are in Christ. Peter has told us earlier to earnestly love each other, and I want to import that word here. Peter is earnestly telling us to put away these things that choke and cast out love from among us. Perhaps at the start of this new year, you decided to make a healthy change. In order to have this healthy lifestyle, you need to put away the foods that have high fructose corn syrup, GMOs, and anything you can't pronounce. <laughs> you have to throw these things out because one, they won't help you to achieve that healthy lifestyle you're aiming for. And two, it's a temptation. Because if we're being honest, the Oreos taste better than healthy cookies. <laughs> we should not be marked by these lists by these vices listed in verse 1. 
But also, when our brothers and sisters bring these vices into conversations, we need to stop it. When they speak with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander, we should lovingly tell them to stop. If we don't, we are going to be tempted to speak and act the same way. If at any point you're speaking in this way or listening to someone speak this way, your conversation is not honoring to God. This list of vices breeds hatred for one another. We are called to put them off. So how are we to rightfully do this? Peter knows we can't do this on our own and on our own strength. He says we are to be like newborn infants. We are to be helpless, in need of someone to care for us, to support us, to help us to survive. He says we are to long for the pure spiritual milk. I believe going with the flow of Peter's thought throughout this section, how we have been purified, how, we've been, how we have pure hearts back in verse 22, and that we are pure because we have been born again by the imperishable seed being the word of God. I believe the pure spiritual milk is the word of God. And I would say both the gospel and the scriptures. And that by longing for it the way a newborn longs for its mama's milk to sustain its life, we are similarly long for the word to sustain our Christian life. And similarly, as newborn babies grow when they drink the nutritious milk, we will grow as Christians when we feast on the word of God. If you're like me, you'll sometimes read your Bible with the goal of your reading plan in mind. As long as you check, mark those little square boxes, you can call it a day. And it can be embarrassing when I'm asked what I read in my Bible that day and I draw a complete blank. And I was like, I think I was in Exodus, Moses was there, Psalms. Clearly, I wasn't feasting on the word. Now, don't get me wrong. God's word is the best thing you can read. But when I read those, when I read to check off those boxes, I didn't read to be nourished by it. I was reading for the fleshly desire to feel accomplished. Last week, Eva asked, what are we feeding our minds? Whatever we are thinking about will come out in our actions and our words. Feasting can be an interesting attribute to use for reading a book if you're new to Christianity. But the idea is how much are we ingesting? How much are we overindulging in the word? Are we meditating on it? Are we digging deeper when we read something confusing or hard? Think back to when you used to nurse your baby. You'll never hear that on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Maybe some of you are in the thick of it. What was the most important thing to do? It was to get a good latch. A good latch meant that the baby was extracting the milk properly, and that signaled the mother's hormones to continue to make more. A bad latch meant that the baby would fail to get the milk it needed to, to grow and survive and therefore lose weight, and the mother wouldn't produce enough milk. Sometimes we look at other people and think, wow, they just, they know the word, they've got it. They got the gift to study the word, it's just not in me. But really, they're taking their Bibles and hitting it against their heads because they're trying to understand and praying to God, Lord, help me get a right latch. Help me to understand your word. It's work to study the scriptures. It won't come easy, but it is what will satisfy your soul. It is a work that will produce a fruit. Pray that the Lord will help you to see his mercy, his justice, his compassion, his steadfastness, and his love through his word. I think study Bibles are a great resource, but also what we do here at Maple Ave. Core prayer groups, Bible studies, Sunday morning ser sermons, small groups, 
we can help each other to know more about God's word. Even memorizing the word of God is of great value. It helps us to know what to pray, helps us to fight sin, and how to comfort and love those around us. Peter says that by doing this, we will grow up into our salvation. Now, Peter has already said that we've achieved our salvation. We've been purified. We've been born again. We have an inheritance waiting for us. So Peter isn't saying that we need to work for our salvation, but that the Christian life is a life that is marked by growth and sanctification. A better understanding of his word and a deeper love for God and his people. We are to mature in our faith, but still be newborn infants. A lot of times I have an illustration up at the board. We come to Christ and we think it's a linear line to be more like Jesus. But really, it's a lot of loops and dies and one step forward and two steps back before we actually become more like Christ. Our only source of growth is the word of God, though. Now, I know there are other parts in, parts in Scripture where it says to not just long for the milk, but long for um, solids. And Peter isn't contending with that logic. But he's using this imagery that the only way we'll be able to love God and to love our brothers and sisters and the only way we will be able to stand firm in this hostile world is with the pure spiritual milk, the word of God. And why is that? Because the words we read in this book are spirit-filled. They are alive, and the spirit works in and through them. Jeremiah 17 says we don't even know our own hearts. We might think we do, but we might not even know that we have these vices or that we are loving the local body perfectly. But when we read God's word and humble ourselves to let him do a work through it, the spirit will reveal, convict, and uproot sin that is in our hearts. Is that not hopeful? We can't do this on our own, but God is at work to bring about this change, and we have the spirit's help. Look at the sisters sitting next to you. I'm serious. Do it. Look at them. <laughs> They are fighting the same fight you are. This should breed teamwork, camaraderie, and sympathy, not separation. We should be fighting sin together. Who better to lend a helping hand than another Christian that's been saved by grace? We cannot separate the word of God and love for his people. We are people who have, if we are people who have put our faith and hope in the gospel, then it ought to produce love for God's people. In order to love God's people, we need to feast on God's word. Let's pray to that end. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word in 1 Peter and how it is to equip us as Christians um, on how to love each other and how to grow and to stand firm in this world. I pray that you would do that, Lord, that you would cause the love among our sisters and brothers here at Maple Avenue that is um, just pure and imperishable, Lord. And I pray that you would do this through your word that is imperishable and everlasting. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.